It's time for Ceasefire, hosted by Clyde Fender. Now, on News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 KVEC. Now your host, Clyde Pinder. Okay, welcome to another edition of Ceasefire. I'm your host, Clive Pinder, and uh, as you know, Ceasefire is the show where we put partisan politics um, and clickbait radio to one side. We try to look at uh, what I say are national issues through a local lens. Um, today, I'm really excited that we have another representative of one of our city councils, well, yeah, city councils in the in the uh, studio today. It's uh, Warren Frace, who's the Community Development Director for Paso Robles um, City. Um, the show we're going to be talking about today is um, entitled Growing Pains. Is it growth at any cost? Um, and that's our question for Warren. Um, Warren is the perfect person to talk about that because um, I'll let Warren introduce himself in a minute, but essentially Warren has sort of eyes and ears and uh, and mind over all things to do with de- development in Paso Robles, but also is well connected with the whole county because obviously uh, cities can't uh, can't make planning and development decisions in isolation. So, um, so Warren, welcome to the show. Happy New Year! Thanks for coming in. Hey, thank you. Warren, before we get started, can you j- just tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, how long have you been um, in Slow County? Um, how long have you worked for the city of Paso Robles? And uh, if anything, what did you do before you got the current role? Yeah, so I'm Warren Frace. I'm the Community Development Director for the city of Paso Robles currently. I've been there for about nine years now. Um, before that, I was the Community Development Director for the city of Atascadero. Oh, okay. <laughs> So I've been in the North County since 99. Right. Um, originally grew up in Southern California, down in Fullerton, um, Orange County. So yeah. a lot of growth when I was growing sure. up. Sure. Uh, came to Cal Poly in the 80s. Okay. Um, so I graduated from the city and regional planning program. I think it was 91. Um, worked in the Central Valley for a little while and came back to Atascadero. I've been in the North County ever since. Okay, cool. Have you um, have you always worked in the sort of public sector side, or have you been in the private space of development and planning as well? Or Yeah, I actually started in the private sector. Okay. So when I was at Cal Poly, um, got a job as an intern for RRM Design Group here okay. in San Luis Obispo, did private sector planning for RRM here in San Luis Obispo, right. and then up in Modesto. And then ultimately, I switched over to public sector and made my way back. Sure. There. Cheeky question. Why did you move from Atascadero to Paso Robles? Well, you know, 15 years is a long time to be in one place. Okay. So I think I had kind of come to a point where I had done pretty much what, you know, could be done, you know, in Atascadero, you know, in terms of wh- what I was trying to do. There was a lot of changes, you know, the redevelopment agency and you know, it had been canceled by the state. There was a lot of, I think, um, just issues, you know, moving projects forward. And I was just looking kind of for a change. What was nice about the change to Paso Robles um, is that th- they just have a lot more financial resources. Um, it's a town um, that has more developable land. The downtown, you know, with the tourism has a lot of potential. So it just seemed like a town that was ready to grow it was a town I actually lived in since '99, and it was just an interesting opportunity when it when it you know finally came open. So I threw my hat in the ring, and it worked Great. out. Well, um, uh, thanks for that. Uh, listeners will know that usually we have uh, I have two guests uh, on ceasefire um, because what I like to try and do is put people 
um, across the microphone who have slightly different takes on on issues um, in the hope that we can have sort of informed conversations and uh, and learn something and 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 perhaps find some middle ground um, or uncover issues that need to be resolved. Uh, unfortunately, uh, on this topic, I don't know if it's because Warren is such an uh, intimidating and well-known uh, player in the uh, in the Paso Robles uh, community, um, but I spoke to a number of people and asked who I know have for want of a better word, issues and questions to raise about the way the city is going about its growth plans. Um, and I know that their uh, regular um, contributors online and in public meetings, but I couldn't get them to come on the radio. So, Warren, you're going to have to put up with me today playing the uh, counterpoint, the sort okay. of devil's advocate. So, um, um, uh, you know, I, I, I try to come to these things with an open mind, um, but I'm going to try and represent the sort of the the the, cons- the city concerns and and indeed I mean we just talked about it before we got on air with um, with Dave Congleton just down the corridor and Pepper Daniels um, you, you know growth and the things that come with it is a contentious issue across the whole county we're not going to talk about parking today but uh, that was one of the issues that came up uh, before we got on the air um, so just before we get started a reminder this is Clive Pinder host of Ceasefire and I am in the studio today with Warren Frace who's the community development director of Paso Robles and we're going to talk about the issues of growing pains as our county and our cities um, deal with growth before we start how do you come I mean there, I, oh and I should say for those of you who are really interested and want to, to get in the weeds of this there's a there are lots of documents that come out of all the cities and and I've spent the last 24 48 hours reading the uh, I, I, what's it called the agenda for growth it's your 2021 28 plan um, there's a title for it but I cannot remember what it is um, but but Hopefully if you get the general plan the general plan that's yeah. right and and if I'm right in saying that there is a target of uh, I think is it 42,800 homes by 2045. Yeah, forty-five thousand people. People, okay. That, that's okay. The, that's the that's the number for build out of the current right. so, plan. So, just to put some numbers into that, in nineteen eighty, there were nine thousand uh, people. Um, Forty years later, there were thirty-two thousand people, which brings us up to twenty twenty. Um, so, twenty forty-five, we're looking at well, I mean, the, the whether it's forty-two, forty-five, but we're looking at growth of nearly four hundred percent. Where do you get that 45,000 figure from? What, what makes you decide that you have to plan to that number? Well, that's what the general plan's about. So okay. the state of California, all cities, counties are required to have a general plan. So that's been a requirement going back to the 50s and 60s. And really that was so that a city had some sort of idea about where they were going in the future. So it's kind of described as the blueprint for the future of a city. Right. And the whole purpose of that is each city is supposed to have a public process where the community and the planning commission and city council all come together and decide what is the vision for the community and how are we going to get there? And part of that process is to, you know, lay out a general plan with land use maps. And then as you lay out areas for development, there's certain calculations that would go into, well, how many people would live in each house? How many houses are we planning for? How many people would that be? And then based on that, you would size your road system, your water system, your sewer system, your park system, all to meet that so that when you finally hit that target in 20 or 30 years, you had the facilities and a well-organized community. Sure. So I get, 
I, I get the purpose of the plan, and again, I'd encourage people to read it. Um, you know, I'll remind people that I was a city councillor. Warren might not do this in in a in a city a long way away. Um, and I can tell you that wherever I go, growth is an issue for 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 small to medium sized towns that are that are growing. But my question remains: I mean, could you? Is there anything stopping you saying, "Look, we're at thirty two, thirty three thousand people. We're going to stay there for the next ten years whilst we absorb all of our growth." Make sure all of the infrastructure is working properly, and then we'll look at growing to forty-five thousand. I'm just trying to wonder where do you because that figure of forty-five thousand had to come from somebody. How did we get to that number? Yeah, so that that goes back to the two thousand three general plan. So okay. literally twenty years ago, the city of Paso Robles went through a general plan process with the community. They looked at a lot of different alternatives for growth. Um, the the, the preferred plan was this current 44,000 build-out plan, which is the current plan right. we're working on. The, the kind of curious thing about it is, so 20 years ago, they, they set fairly aggressive growth yeah. um, targets for the city because that was, that was the mindset in the community at the time. It was, tw- it was about 25,000 people in, uh, in the year 2000. Yeah, so, yeah. so that, that basically was about, that was going to be about 5,000 new houses, right. about 4 million square feet of new commercial industrial. So they had, they approved that plan in 2003. They started doing some of the planning work for that, the specific plan works. That's when the Great Recession hit. And basically everything stopped in town until about 2014, 2015, okay. which is kind of when I came on board. And that's when we actually started the process. So although those numbers were set, that growth target was set 20 years ago, hardly any of that development has occurred in the last 20 years. So we're really so it's just kind started. of all be bottled up. Yeah, but luckily during that time, the city actually did rebuild the water system, rebuild the sewer system, hook into the Nacimento pipeline and whatnot. So it actually did buy the city a lot of time to invest in infrastructure. Okay. There was a lot of road improvements and bridge projects that were put in at the same time. So we're actually in a fairly good position infrastructure-wise now to accommodate the growth that's coming okay. along. So um, uh as, as I say, I'm here to represent the uh, the views of, of some people, not all people. And, and I've, I've done a lot of talking. Well, I mean, I've been here for seven years um, and I've been active uh, in, in a few issues. And, and I mean, obviously, Warren, I mean, you, you go up in front of the public all the time. So, you, you know, you know that this issue of growth, growth is contentious. I mean, let me let me put presumably you serve at the pleasure of the city and the city is run by elected councillors. Is, is that a fair summary of uh, of who the, the for want of a better word the boss is so the way pass was set up and i think pretty much all the cities in the county is right. the city manager former government okay so the city council only hires the city manager and the city attorney okay and then the city manager's then in charge of all the staff people right okay so, so i'm one of so, the okay so you're one of the top top dogs one of the it department okay. yeah, heads yeah, working got it. directly yeah, for yeah, the city great. manager okay. so um but that city manager the, the the council the elected council set out plans um and then goes to the manager and the attorney and says okay here's our plan you, you know go make it happen um is that is that fair yeah so, so so i guess one of the questions that people want me to ask is and we have to remember that all of these councillors are elected representatives, um, although whether some of them are currently were nominated not to, or appointed, not not elected for things that, that happened with uh, Steve Martin's, Mayor Martin's uh, sad passing. But uh, could, this, could the city 
council actually say, okay, you know what, we, we, we realize that we're trying to do a lot in a short period of time. And actually, you know, that 42, 45,000 number, we're actually just going to bring that down to, let's say, 40,000 um, by 2045. So just, I mean, is that, a poss- is that an option? So in terms of where Paso Robles is in terms of actions the council took after they adopted the general plan, um, the answer would be no. Um, a lot of times when the general plan's approved, that you know, target number, let's say, you know, was, was a, an aspirational goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually it would require a lot of steps like annexations and rezones and general plan amendments to actually create the area to accommodate that growth. So those would be decisions that the council could decide not to make that okay. would potentially keep the population from hitting that point. Um, back in 2003, after they made the decision to go to 44,000, they then moved quickly with annexing hundreds of acres of land and then rezoning that land to residential. So once you rezone land to residential, there's state laws now and private property taking rights issues you can't claw that back okay so there was decisions made back in 2004 2005 that annexed land and zone land that would accommodate those 5,000 houses that you can't unring so what you're saying is and again just because i know that there's a lot of angst about this issue but this is an issue that i've come across in other cities um when i was involved what we're saying here is that once you effectively annex by land and put it aside for development whether it's commercial or residential if you you that the law prevents you from then saying we don't want to develop that and that means that if you decided not to develop it you'd be facing presumably lawsuits from either the state or commercial partners that have made decisions based on those annexations is that a fair summary yeah especially with residential so right and the context today is that the state's very concerned about housing. So yep. The state's been very active in creating a lot of protections and rights for housing development that didn't exist 20 years ago. So if it's zoned for residential, there is like no way that it can be unzoned. Okay. All the state laws now are, are basically saying, you know, whatever the zoning is, that's the base. And they're actually telling you to now increase the density with accessory dwelling units and things like that. So we're at a situation with once you have residential land in the city boundaries and zone for it, it it's just a matter of time before it's actually going to develop. Okay. And are there penalties if you say you didn't get to 45,000 by 20 foot? No, it's, it's, it's a goal. There's, there's no penalties. Um, part of the how the um, general plan today is the housing element, um, which is a state requirement. So, the state allocates a certain number of housing units to the region to San Luis Obispo County, and then those are distributed among the cities. So, right now, the city of Paso Robles has been allocated about fifteen hundred housing units that we're supposed to build between basically two thousand twenty one and two thousand twenty eight. Right. Um, we're about a third of the way through there. We're kind of on track, but so, so that that's a state mandate. So you'd have to deliver those. Well, you don't have to deliver them, but you have to make it possible that they can be built, and you have to remove any barriers. So they you have to have the zoning for it, 
Um, you have to make sure your fees and your building processes accommodate that. So okay. it's still up to the private sector to build the houses, but the city can't be an obstacle. So, so uh, last kind of question down this track. Um, so let's just assume that we had a whole new city council. We've got elections coming up this year. I think I'm not sure how many roles are up, but uh, so let's just say you had a, a new city council, or or all of a sudden a, a majority on the city council that came to you or came to the city manager and said, you know what, we have decided that forty five thousand by twenty forty five is just too too much for us. We're not saying we're not saying we don't want to build those homes. We're just saying we want to slow down. Would that be illegal? I guess if we if we kind of Take a step sure. back. So, w- when the city adopted the general plan in 2003, um, it did bring all this land in, but it, it did add the requirement that there would be a specific plan requirement for all these developable, developable areas. And the specific plan is basically a master plan for the area to make sure that you have the parks, the roads, the architectures the way you want it, you have the landscaping, all those sorts of facilities. So, that's the process by which then development can happen on these tracts of land. So since 2000, the city has approved two of the big specific plans, right. the Olson specific yeah. plan and the Beachwood specific plan. Together, that's about 2,200 units total. So those are both approved. They have what's called development agreements, which are basically contracts between the developer yeah. and the city council in terms of how they're going to develop. There are no restrictions on how fast they develop. Um, and based on the housing element, we're trying to encourage development, not put the brakes on development. So right now, all the process is that those can happen when and you know, sure. the developers are ready to build them. Sure. Okay. Um, so I'm um, just reminded this is Clive Pinder, your host of Ceasefire. And in the studio today, we have Warren Frace, um, who is the Community Development Director for Paso Robles, and Warren has, uh, if I add up, 30 years of experience in development uh, in, in North County and, and is a Cal Poly graduate, so knows the, the, the county well. Um, how do you make sure that your department is representing the interests of the public? I mean, obviously, you, you have a plan. What we've heard is that that's a legal obligation to meet that number. There seems to be some question for those listeners out there who uh, who are worried about speed of growth that maybe – if you had a slightly different bunch of representatives, you might be able to slow that down um, uh, by you know, by fair means or foul, as it were. But um, given that you've got to make that plan, there's obviously a lot of issues, as you say, around uh, you know issues like infrastructure, sewage, traffic, or, or crime, healthcare, all of those issues. How do you? How does your department go about? getting input from the public and and, and I, I'm, I as I said this isn't gotcha I, I don't want to gotcha here but one of the big passions I have um, and I, and I criticize my listeners for this as much as anybody else is you gotta you've got to get involved it's no good sitting there behind a keyboard um, just making you know complaining or going to public meetings where you know you're only going to get three minutes to make a point you've, you've got to get actively involved I mean Public engagement is a challenging issue. I, I, I just took some numbers here. Um, I read the 2128 housing plan. There wasn't one measurable number in that for public participation. So I don't know how I would judge whether you'd had a good consultation or a bad consultation. And just to give you another general issue, and I think this is countywide. This isn't, um, this isn't I don't think, Paso Robles, but there was a shelter crisis consultation where you got 357 responses, which if I do my math right, is about 
0.14% of the population over 18 in Slow County. Um, so that doesn't seem like consultation to me. I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's this issue of output versus outcomes. I, I'm not suggesting that you don't try and consult, but I just wonder how we can measure whether it was effective consultation. Okay. Um, so before we go there, let, let, let me just go, go sure. back to just the growth issue a little okay. bit. Because I do think there's this perception that Paso's growing really fast. But if you actually look at our population numbers from the state of California, they've shown our population either flat or declining every year, I think, for the last for the, three or For the four state? Years. No, for the city of Paso. For the city of Paso? Paso's been flat or declining in population. And the reason that is, is we are still building houses, but our family sizes are decreasing. So Paso used to be a town with lots of, you know, nuclear families, right. basically. And those kids are getting priced out. And, and that's one of the issues, really, with the housing issue is as the supply. Yeah, affordability. Housing, yeah, yeah. Gets tighter. It gets less, ex, you know, more expensive. Sure. We're squeezing out the families. We're ending up with more retirees, which is actually fewer people in town. But yeah. So that so that's, you know, I think. What are the it, issues we're trying to deal with? It's affordability. I'm, we, I definitely we're going to come on okay. to that in the second half of the show. Um, so actually, in terms of yeah, yeah, go ahead. In terms of, in terms of consultation, yeah. And, yeah. So public participation. So that's that's a built into the the planning process, which is actually a really good thing. We we really try to embrace that. Right. So we have you know, there's a planning commission, which is basically between the city staff and the council, and really their role is to facilitate the public process right. as much as possible. So Every project we have, you know, there's lots of noticing. There's always public meetings. I think the key is, like you said, who shows up. There's lots of opportunities for the public. The question is, you know, how do they show up? These big specific plans, like the Olson specific plan, we actually did a charrette process. So for a week, they had designers, you know, in a public room. Yeah, where people could Designing go. Yeah, things. Yeah. The public was invited. And actually, there was a lot of public there. And at the beginning of the process, there was hundreds of people that showed up. They were very concerned. I think what happened as the process moved along, the comfort level with the project increased, and that kind of decreased over time. Um, but it is key, and we really try to encourage public participation as much as possible. But it is important to show up. So again, and the point I want to make here is planning commissioners are selected from the public. Anybody can apply when there's a vacancy. And we have two vacancies right, right now. now. So we're so, soliciting so, you know, applications and today. The, and it seems to me that those are the people that should be making sure. I mean, I, you know, I'll put my cards on the table right before the break is, uh, you know, my background is marketing communications and, and then an elected representative. And, and I do think that the public servants as a whole could do much better better in engaging i think i think uh a lot of it is is traditional and, and in the world we live in today i think there are better ways of reaching people but again to the listeners out there don't uh don't bitch and moan about it apply to become a planning commissioner because those are the people that can really you know hold the feet to the fire for people like warren and uh i think we all have to accept the fact that people in these jobs are trying to do the best jobs they can um, for the masters uh, they serve, and ultimately the masters they serve are we the public. So, uh, so please get engaged. So, you're listening to Ceasefire um, with Clive Pinder and Warren Frace from Paso Robles City Council, the uh, community director. We're talking about growing pains in uh, in Slow County, and we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Catch the full episode of Ceasefire on the KVEC Podcast Network. More ceasefires coming up on News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 KVEC.
building bridges, not burning bridges. Ceasefire is back. Here's Clive Pinder on News Talk 920 at FM 96.5 KVEC. And we're back. Today, um, I'm delighted to have Warren Frace in the studio. Warren is the Community Development Director for Paso Robles City. And we're talking about the issue of growing pains, which is relevant uh, not just to Paso Robles. Um, Warren was in Atascadero before he moved up to Paso Robles. Um, but across the whole county, um, we're, we're looking at, at, at how the system works and, and what you, the listeners, can do to to address the concerns that I know many people out there have that, you know, perhaps we're growing uh, just quicker than uh, may, maybe our eyes are bigger than our tummy in some instances in terms of the development that we're that we're looking at. Um, we're going to be talking about affordable housing, which I think, uh, as Warren indicated before the break, is kind of a critical issue. But before we get there, there's just a couple of things that, that I wanted to bring up in terms of how. And again, if you if you read the the um, the development plan that uh, that that the city of Paso Robles and every city has, you'll see that that they do set out goals. One of the goals uh, that uh, that is in the plan is to strengthen community quality of life. How do you define that? In that, there's no mention of things like health care, well-being, happiness, crime. Can you tell us a little bit about how you and your department take into consideration issues that perhaps are not directly related to building, but are directly related to the way the community benefits from and enjoys the, the facilities and the homes and the businesses that, that are there. As I say, we'll come on to affordability, but just more generally, any, any thoughts on that, Warren? Yeah, and I think that's kind of something that's been changing in planning quite a bit over the last couple of decades. Originally, planning really was about the physical built community, you know, the houses, the roads, the parks and whatnot. Um, but for the last 20 years, there's definitely been a shift um, to look at, you know, the broader important issues within a community like you know, the social issues, the quality of life issues, that sort of thing. So I think that's something that planning just kind of as a profession is still um, grappling with. Um, there's now, you know, more um, emphasis on, you know, health and quality of life than there, there was historically when we were starting yep. planning, you know, 40, 50 years ago now. And I think that's a challenge. I think, you know, the planning industry, um, just as a profession, you know, that's something we need to focus more on. Yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting that the, the you know, this is, it's, there are obviously public housing and Paso Robles actually has a pretty good history, I think, of that in terms of the Oak um, Oak Park uh, development up the yep, north. that's north the Paso Robles yeah. Housing Authority, right. and, our, uh, our partner. Yeah, um, so, but, but, you know, generally commercial and residential development is, is you know, big business, um, businesses for profit. And, and I know that they spend a lot of time thinking about designs to try and make their, their, their buildings more attractive. Um, but I, I, I just have one suggestion for you, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. And it, you're nationally and, and internationally, we've always talked about GDP, which is, you know, the gross, gross domestic product of a, of a, of a country. And, and that's kind of how we've measured the performance of, of countries around the world. Needs to say America, uh, you know, is, is always ranking right up there. I mean, California state alone, I think is the fifth or sixth largest, uh, for want of a better word, country by, um, um, by, by, by GDP. 
Um, but more and more people are talking about the Gini coefficient. I don't know if you've come across this, but it, it's a coefficient that takes in economic development but also looks at other metrics such as mental well-being, happiness, um, income inequality, things like that. Is, is that something that your planning department looks at? I mean, have you thought about maybe developing a, an index like that for for the city that you manage? Well, I don't think we've gotten to a point of talking about trying to find an index or, you know, those specific metrics. But I do think in terms of improving the quality of life for everybody in town, that is a focus. Um, we're very – Paso is a very diverse community. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Oak Park was kind of in the northern part of town, always a historically blighted part of the community yeah. that was kind of isolated. And the city spent a lot of time and effort and outreach in that community. So – Oak Park was rebuilt. You know, what was a blighted area now is one of the nicest housing projects in town. Um, I think, you know, just the diversity of Paso Robles is something that, you know, is celebrated in the community. We're, we're actually, you know, a very integrated community. I think, you know, so Paso has done a good job dealing with that in the past, but it's obviously something we're trying to do more and more of in the future in terms of more, you know, outreach to the Hispanic community, more bilingual you know, outreach in terms right. of planning efforts and that sort of thing. Sure. Uh, I, and we all know that uh, this is an issue in, in across almost every major organization or ma- major public function. Um, I mean, the, the high school alone is uh, is facing serious, you know, issues in that area. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, is, is seeing a drop off in students, which may well be um as part of uh, a part of the affordable housing thing so so um so i'd encourage you to look at that i mean you know there is there there are standard metrics now for for sort of quality of life issues and uh, one of the great things that i've always believed is that you know you can't manage what you can't measure um and uh, and it might be an interesting idea for Paso Robles. i still believe that we have a great deal to celebrate about living in and around Paso Robles and uh it, it's one of the big selling points of, of the city, I think, is people move here because they visit and love it. Um, so I don't think that's something we should be afraid of. Um, what we should be afraid of is that we lose it, um, and perhaps having a way to measure it will, will, will perhaps allay the fears of some of the long-standing uh, uh, members of our community, um, of which my family is one of them, some of the sort of pioneers that you know, who I think you know have genuine concerns that the spirit of Paso Robles is being lost. So, so I'll just I'll leave that with one one with you, Warren, to, right. to think a bit about more about. So let's let's get on to affordable housing. Um, I'm just going to throw some 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 numbers at you. I think it's right to say. Let me just he says shuffling through his pack that the medium home price um, in Paso. Um, is about eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars, up from four hundred and seven thousand, which is an over hundred percent increase since two thousand and eight. To afford that, a household would have to make a minimum household income of about two hundred twenty-one thousand pound per 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 annum to, to to get to the medium. In Paso Robles, the medium, and I got this from, from the plan, the medium household income is 61000 Now, that is up um, significantly from the 1980s, but that, that's, that's only equivalent to 28% of the required income to, to own a home in Paso Robles. And, and just, just to put a few more numbers in there, um, the affordable housing cost for a two-person home, 
I think set by the state is about $1,900. That's what it should be if people can have based on the average income, et cetera. And for, that's for moderate income. For low income, it's about $1,450. Um, yet um, a two-bedroom apartment in the Rolling Hills Creston development is $3,000 a month. And the workplace housing, um, which I think is what is designated the new 200-unit complex next to Food for Less, has rents of about twenty-eight to three thousand dollars, so that's meant to be workplace housing, and yet their rents are almost well thirty to fifty percent more than what the state says they should be for affordable housing for moderate to low-income people. So, how does the planning department bring pressure to bear on developers that 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 are that are charging rents that do not meet those, that that affordable housing criteria? That's what the housing element deals with. It, you know, I talked about those allocations that we get from the state and the county in terms of our share. So that 1,500 units that were allocated, then there's different categories within um, that that are allocated that are, have to be low income. That, that's what's that, the RHN? What, what's that? The, yeah, the, the RENA. The regional housing the, needs right. allocation. So, so that's what the state set each city to, to be affordable housing. So you would say that... I mean, is, for example, the Rolling Hills Crescent, is that part of the RENA project or is that, mm -hmm. it is? Yeah. So how can, but I, so I don't understand how if, if it's $3,000 a month for a two-bedroom two apartment and the RENA is saying that 1888 is the moderate income, I mean, that, 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 that's a $1,200 gap. So who holds the feet to the fire of these developers to say, actually, that's not, for want of a better word, cheap enough? Well, so... There's different rules um, in different areas on different properties, and that's what the housing element is. So really what the state is requiring and the, what the housing element says is that city's got a plan for a full range of housing. There's lots of different programs and requirements for different types of projects, and there's a lot of flexibility about where different types of projects happen and how they happen. Um, but keep in mind that you know historically in California – um, the United States, you know, housing's been provided by the private sector. It's right. been a for-profit um, endeavor, and it's worked out very well historically. Um, and I think part of what we're dealing with now is we're kind of at a paradigm shift. So especially in California, like I said, I grew up in Orange County, mm -hmm. you know, everybody could buy, well, not everybody, but if you had a decent job, you could find a house somewhere in Orange County or out in San Bernardino because there was just always more and more houses being built. And that was kind of the theory that California operated under. If you just built enough single-family houses, your housing supply issues would primarily be taken care of. You'd have to build a couple, you know, apartments here and there. But single-family basically dealt with the housing need for okay. California all of last century. That's not working anymore. And that's why you're seeing, you know, these single-family prices going from 400000 to 800000 right. Single-family as the solution for workforce housing, affordable housing, it's just, it's kind of hit a wall. Um, and that's what we're dealing with, I think, is we're needing now to look at different forms of housing. So apartments, condominiums, more compact, infill, mixed use, all those are parts of the solutions, accessory dwelling units, all those fit into this. So like when we're talking about an apartment project, like the project next to Food for Less, mm -hmm. um, the Arrive project, that's a market rate project. So 
the state said that needs to be an apartment project, and that's what was in our zoning, is it had to be 20 units the acre, and that's what it is. It's 10 acres, 200 units, so it met the requirements. The state didn't say that it had to be income-restricted or set to any. So the state makes certain assumptions. If you build apartments at 20 units per acre in Paso Robles, that that'll meet a certain need, and it'll be kind of in the moderate to market rate, um, and then the key is really to have enough supply. So that project adds a significant number of apartments to, the, to the, our supply chain. Now, that one's going to be on the higher end, but potentially that opens up or puts more pressure on existing apartments to reduce rent. So the newer stuff's always going to be more expensive, likely, than the older stuff. In the end, you know, the market hopefully adjusts to a certain point and figures that out. Is there any, I mean, are there any levers that you can pull as a city to, to, to force developers to offer a certain number of apartments within that? And I'm saying this because in the city that I was on the council of, there was an affordable housing quota that if you wanted to build, for example, 200 units, the city would say, I'm making these numbers up, but roughly 20 of those, 10% have to be affordable housing. And affordable housing is, is basically, um, a, a, a medium price plus or minus a certain percentage so that we knew that within that city um, it was affordable. Um, yeah. is, are there any levers you can pull like that? So those are called inclusionary ordinances. Okay. A lot of the cities in the county have inclusionary requirements. Um, there's trade-offs. Um, they sound good. They also sometimes scare projects away and keep things from happening, um, which is hard to tell. Um, and it raises the cost for everything else. Pass Robles doesn't have a formal percentage inclusionary requirement, um, but we have been fairly aggressive in terms of negotiating affordability into the project. Right. So that Olson-specific plan, yep. the one that went through the charrette process, yep. part of that one, there was different measures that were negotiated into that project to provide affordable housing. One was that a, a apartment site needed to be provided and dedicated to the city at no cost. So we actually acquired a five-acre site in the project that then we partnered with the Pass Robles Housing Authority to build a fully affordable low-income apartment project, which is actually under construction right now. So right now they're building about 80 affordable apartments as the first phase of the Olson project. And then in future phases, there'll be accessory dwelling units and then smaller infill units. And then some of the condos have certain income requirements on them as well. So we've kind of taken a different approach than the inclusionary, but, you know, we think that it's going to be, well, it has been successful. And actually, you know, the first thing out of the ground is the affordable apartments. Right. Um, as I say, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into sort of individual developments. I don't think that would be in the time we have available fair to you or or indeed uh because you know it's lies damn lies and statistics and and i don't want to play too much with numbers but um because i'm really into this idea of people get the governments the councils and the policies they deserve within the framework of obviously state and even nationally mandated guidelines but in this case state could again if you had a new city council that came out and said hey we want inclusionary pricing or inclusionary contracts is that is that something that's within the remit of the city council members to come to to, to, to to make that decision if the voters persuaded them that would be a smart thing to do yeah absolutely okay. that's something within council discretion okay all right great so so just staying on that i, I mean 
The plan says that I read that the medium condo price in Paso Robles City is three was three hundred thirty thousand dollars in twenty twenty. Um, that's the, again the medium price. Um, the latest market data, and this is only um, what three years later, isn't it? Is you know that's gone up by almost a hundred thousand dollars again because of supply and demand, right? That's the way it works. Now, now again, medium household income is sixty one thousand. So. It's just not affordable. I mean, you'd need a down payment of $86,000 and an annual household income of $93,000 to afford a $430,000 home. Can you honestly put your hand on your heart and say, look, in 20 years' time, which is roughly 4045, that we will have solved the affordable housing issue in Paso Robles? And perhaps just a subsequent question, because it's not a simple yes or no answer. If you could do anything, because you are a true expert in this with lots of experience, and you know, let's forget that you have state requirements and you have a city council and a city manager to answer to. You know, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do to get to that affordable housing issue? So, do you think we can get there? And if you don't, or if you're concerned, or if you wanted to make sure we could, what what magic wand would you wave? And it, it might be. 50% more homes, but, but where would you go? Well, you know, this was a big issue at the Economic Forum a couple months ago. I was there. Yeah. And, you know, one of the points was was the need to build more rental housing. I right. Think for purchase housing, is there's just going to be a smaller and smaller pool of people that can afford to buy something, especially if it's single family. Yeah. So I think more rental housing is going to be the key. Um, and we're pivoting toward that. We're trying to do more. That's the apartment projects you see under construction. I think that's going to be a solution across California is you're going to see a lot more rental housing than you saw in the past. And that will be multi-units, perhaps higher rise. It, it'll be it'll be apartments. It'll be infill. It'll be mixed use. And I think creative use of land. I think one of the things, you know, land is always an issue. Um trying to find new vacant land to we're not making on. any more of it yeah it's <laughs> really a problem so we might lose a lot of it in california if the big one hits but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so creative approaches to use the your existing land you know is a real opportunity so i think a good example of that is at the walmart center in paso robles there was always a vacant pad in the back by the old jc pennies yeah. that was never going to develop for commercial because you know there's not that demand for that kind of retail space so that that five acres was sitting vacant forever. So we actually worked with the housing authority and the property owner to go, hey, let's rezone that so you can build affordable apartments there. So we worked with them, and that underutilized five acres of land that was just growing weeds for the last 30 years is now under construction right now. Mm -hmm. It's going to be 70 low-income um, senior apartments. So I think there's a lot of kind of creative things that you can do if you just – you know, kind of take a creative approach. There's a lot of underutilized land throughout all the cities in this county that with a little creativity could be turned into okay. housing projects. All right. So, um, again, it all comes back to what levers you as a council have to pull in terms of making sure they really are affordable because I think uh, a lot of listeners out there will say, well, what's affordable to uh, to the developer is perhaps not affordable to, 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 to the market. But... Um, Talking of creativity, one other thing that I, I noticed is um, obviously we have a lot of agricultural workers. Um, because of county ordinances, they can't live on the properties they work on, so they basically have to come into town to live. 
Um, and I know this is outside your direct remit, but you know, I come. I think I was saying before. You know, I was born and raised in uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, uh, we have a lot of of large agricultural projects in that part of the world, and the workers live on the property. They build what we called compounds for for workers. Uh, and I know I've spoken to a lot of people in the wine industry um, and and related industries that need a lot of work. And they cannot build homes for workers on their property, even though they're sitting in the middle of two, three, four hundred acre plots. Um, now, I think in the city you've got a special development that, or special dispensation or something that allowed you, if it was for seasonal workers, you could you could have multi. They waived restrictions on multi multi unit developments and stuff. Do you have any thoughts on how we can help? relieve pressure in the city by allowing agricultural people to put house workers where they work. I mean, it's environmentally friendly because they don't have to drive. I mean, you go to any vineyard around here and there are 20, 30, 40 cars there because they have to drive to work. Any thoughts on that, Warren? Well, I think it comes back to we're we're kind of at a paradigm shift. The way we used to do it's not working anymore. I think, you know, how we treat agricultural workers is probably something that needs needs a, a fresh look at you know zoning historically was just about keeping you know agriculture and commercial areas pure and keeping residential right. areas pure the shift has been more to mixed use and so mixing commercial and residential in cities makes sense potentially mixing agriculture and service workers right. or ag workers in rural residential areas or rural areas probably makes sense as well okay. and i think that's just you know, we're going to have to rethink some of the rules and be more creative Great. than we were. Okay. Um, Warren, we're, we're, uh, we got a, a few minutes left. Um, I've kind of, as I said, played the devil's advocate and bombarded you with, with issues that, that I've picked up from listeners, and, and thank you for being so open to addressing them. And, again, I want to give credit to Warren and people like him. We had Paul Sloan in here. I mean, the, these are public officials that uh, I've noticed are, are genuinely interested in getting out and talking to the public. Um, the irony is that I can't find people in the public to come back and talk to them, but uh, I can promise you they don't bite. Um, you might not always agree with them, but uh, they're, 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 uh, they live in the same neighborhoods as we do. So, um, so please, please you know, reach out to them. And also, don't forget, at the end of the day, the people who run this city are the elected councillors. Um, and we've already heard from Warren that there are levers they could pull if they wanted to. Um, if uh, and and so you know your vote counts. Uh, our turnouts are pretty pathetic in elect- local elections, fifty um, percent or, or or so, maybe even less. So um, if you don't vote, um, you know you're going to carry the consequences of that decision. Warren, um, any anything that you'd like, you know, a, a minute or so left. Anything that you'd like to 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 sort of finish with and uh, and. Yeah, um, you know, may I just hit on traffic? I know traffic's yeah, a big issue. Yeah. You know, obviously with the Salinas River, we just have a couple bridges across the right. river, and that's kind of a choke point. Their traffic's obviously increasing on Creston Road and Niblick. We're, we're aware of that. There's a number of solutions. So we're collecting fees with all these development projects to pay for literally $250 million of new road improvements to deal with that. So there's, there's optimization of signals and intersection widenings that are going to be happening on Creston and Niblick in the very short term. Long term, though, the solution is we need to build an interchange up on um, Highway 46 at Union and Airport Road. Okay. And basically the idea is to shift the traffic, so create an employment center out at the airport. So rather than people driving to San Luis to work, you could drive to the airport to work. 
and we'll basically build a new airport road on the east side that would connect all this new residential development through this interchange and up to the airport. Right. So that's really what the vision of the original general plan was. Those are the big projects that we're working on okay. right now to deliver. Any chance of another bridge across the uh, Salinas anywhere you know, in that, town? Or? That was the original plan back okay. in 2003. Um, that was going to be $250 million in 2010. It's probably twice that now. There's just no way that that's right. going to happen in the short term. Okay. So the focus is on Airport Road okay. and 46. Cool. All right. Well, um, uh, you've been listening to Ceasefire with uh, Clive Pinder, your host, and, and Warren Frace, the uh, Community Development Director of uh, Pass Robles City. Um, Warren, again, thank you for coming in today. Um, uh, I encourage people to get actively involved. And uh, remember, it's uh, it's your city, it's our city, and uh, and Warren and the elected councillors work for us. So uh, they're just trying to do the best job they can, and I know they're open to hearing your thoughts. Uh, so thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the next Ceasefire. You've been listening to Ceasefire, hosted by Clyde Finder. To listen again, get this episode on the KVEC Podcast Network. From News Talk 920 and FM 96.5, KVEC.